This is another episode of the Comedy Reject Podcast brought to you by Comedy Here Often. Ladies and gentlemen, I am back. Um, first off, let's just get it out the way. I want to apologize uh, for not posting anything last week. You'll have to forgive me, but to be honest, I just needed I needed a day for me, man. You ever have that? Will you just, you wake up and you like, Fuck the world, don't ask me for shit, and everything you get, you gotta work hard for it. That's how I felt, man. I woke up and I just wasn't me. You know, like I can't even explain it. I just know that I was not myself. I was I was feeling low, I was fucked up. You know when you just get mad at people for no fucking reason? Like, why the fuck you over there just smiling? Huh? What are you smiling for, man? Fuck you and your smile. You know what? Your smile been real disrespectful lately. I don't fucking appreciate your goddamn smile. The minute you get mad at people for doing things that are natural reactions and emotions, you know you fucked up. And that's where I was at in my life. And I don't know why I was or can even explain uh, the ramifications that brought me to such emotional state. I mean, everybody could talk about the virus and the lockdown and poverty, but I don't know. I don't know if it was a combination of those things or one of those things. It's definitely something subconscious, but I needed some time out. And so I got in my car and uh, I reenacted my old, not reenacted, reactivated. Yeah, I fucking hate when I do that. When I use words in a sentence that sound like they work, but they don't. I said reenacted not reactivated anyways i reactivated my old road comic uh abilities which is the ability to drive for long periods of time without uh needing rest or a break my limit so far is i drove 39 hours straight 39 hours no sleep i drove from edmonton to toronto in 39 hours, got out the car and uh, met my mom at a bar <laughs> and started drinking in the bar. <laughs> so needless to say, driving to Vancouver. Now, if you have never been, if you're one of my listeners, uh, one of my dedicated 40, or if you're one of those people from around the world, like shout out to my my one listener in Israel. Uh, listen, Israel, uh, in Canada... One of the most beautiful places to visit is Vancouver, B.C. Uh, Vancouver is a 12 and a half hour drive, depending on how you drive and the weather conditions. 12 to 12 and a half, let's say 11 and a half to 12 and a half hours away from Edmonton via car. So I got in my car and I drove all the way down to Vancouver to go and uh, spend a few days just a detox. I went to uh, Lush and I bought some uh, body uh, body bath bombs, bath bombs and bubble bath. For those of you who don't know, Lush is a organic, like, like a lot of like skincare products that are handmade. And uh, I swear to God, they're some of the best shit I've ever used. I've always said that I don't like buying uh, stuff like skincare or hair care or any kind of body care products from big name companies because what they do is they water down 
as much as possible of their ingredients so that they can maximize their profits. So if you're actually buying something of high quality, what you're paying for is actually the marketing and the packaging. That marketing and packaging costs more than the contents of what's inside. So when you pay like $80 for some cream, you're paying, you know, the cream inside is actually probably worth $3, but the marketing and the packaging is like $25 and then the rest is all profit. That's what they do. So what I liked about Lush is the shit is a little expensive, um, but it's high quality. Shout out to Lush. I'm not sponsored by you guys, but if the time ever came, I would take that sponsorship because I went and I got bath bombs. Now, I don't know too much about bath bombs, but I know if I'm driving 12 and a half fucking hours to Vancouver, I'm doing it because there's a hot tub in my goddamn room. So I made sure to get a jacuzzi that had... um. I mean, a room that had a jacuzzi. <laughs> I made sure to get a room that had a jacuzzi. And I went and I bought bubble bath. And I bought bath bombs. I've never used bath bombs before. But I was like, treat yourself. You know what I mean? You never had one of the moments where you too broke to pay rent. But you rich enough to get fucked up. And you like, treat yourself. You know what I mean? That's exactly how I felt. So I went and I bought bath bombs. Bubble bath. And I never used them. So I put the bath bomb in and I expected the motherfucker to blow up. You know what I mean? Isn't that what you called? You called a bath bomb. So when I put it in, I expected this shit to be like boom, like some kind of crazy looking visual effect. Ain't fucking nothing happened. Nothing. It's no different than when a president comes into power. Nothing. Nothing happened. Um, No change. Just the water changed color. And the shit eventually melted away. And then I threw on top of that, uh, they had a bubble bath. And the bubble bath wasn't a liquid. The bubble bath was like a fucking brick. It looked like um, it looked like uh, something that you would eat. It looked like one of them uh, uh, donuts. I can't even remember the fucking donut. But I see it in my head, but I don't have the words for it. But it looked like food. And you chip away at the shit and you throw it inside the tub. So I did all that shit. And sat inside the tub. And I'll tell you, man, we need to we need to start normalizing having baths. And I mean having baths for relaxation, not baths to clean yourself. Because uh, if you didn't know, if you just jump in a hot tub with your dirty ass and you didn't have a shower, uh, that dirt's coming off in the tub. So you have to go and shower first if you want to have an enjoyable a hot tub experience you have to have a shower first scrub your dirty ass clean because if you don't when you jump in that hot tub or that jacuzzi um what'll happen is it'll boil the water off of your dirt the boil the, the hot water will boil the dirt off of you and you'll leave a ring in the tub that's just your dirty ass <laughs> leaving a ring in the tub you don't want to do that all right, you don't want to, as black as I am, I ain't trying to be an Oreo with a bunch of milk and fuck up the cup, okay? I'm trying to have this bath and come out and look in the tub and look and realize that I have respect for myself. So uh, have a shower before you jump in the hot tub. By the way, did you guys know, stupid fact, that uh, hot tubs and jacuzzis 
are the same thing, but a jacuzzi is an actual name brand. So you're not allowed to say you have a jacuzzi unless it's the name brand jacuzzi. A hot tub is the same thing. A hot tub is a bathtub with jets. A jacuzzi is the same thing, but jacuzzi is the name brand. So people were calling jacuzzis hot, I mean, calling hot tubs jacuzzi, and jacuzzi got mad and started suing people. So if you don't actually own a jacuzzi and you say you are in your hotel and you have a jacuzzi and you don't have a jacuzzi, they sue you. Anyways, that's how you know I stay in too many fucking hotels that I know that useless fact. Anyways, I hop in this um, hot tub or jacuzzi or whatever you want to fucking call it, put all that shit in. And I'll tell you, man, I felt like I felt like my whole body, like everything in my world just melted away. Like I had that moment for myself to just, yeah, man, you know, really just like let shit go. And uh, of course, I did mushrooms. Um, I do mushrooms anytime I'm feeling off because the real answers always come out. I mean, sometimes I do it with friends to get fucked up because it's fun. Um, but I also uh, do it like it, mushrooms are not for everybody. But if they're for you, they're definitely something I prescribe for depression. And the reason why I say that is I don't consider myself to be depressed. I don't I mean, I'm not clinically diagnosed as depressed. I don't know. I would say more that. I'm sad. You know what I mean? Like I have moments where I'm sad, where it's like I have a week where I'm feeling terrible. But what I'm hearing from people with depression is like them motherfuckers never feel better. They angry all day. That's not how it is for me. I go through, you know, weeks, sometimes months, but, you know, never like a constant where it's like regular in my life. Uh, But when I go through stages like that, it's usually something happening in the background and I don't know what it is. So, you know, I took the baths and shit. And I got some fire-ass mushrooms uh, from my boy. And these ones are strong. Like, these mushrooms are not playtime mushrooms. These mushrooms are introspective mushrooms. Like, when you take these things, you are going into the dark crevices of your life. Like, holy shit. I took these mushrooms. I started tripping, right? I entered what I call the mushroom world. Now, if you've never taken mushrooms, what happens is that just before you trip balls, you, there's a liftoff. It's like, you know when you know when astronauts are like in a spaceship and as the spaceship takes off, there's like all that pressure and they just are like, like they, they, all that shit, all that force is pushing them down. And then they finally, and when they enter space, it lets go. You go through the same shit with mushrooms. Right before the mushroom hit takes hold of you, before you enter mushroom world, what happens is you feel like this huge amount of pressure. It feels like you're being held down almost. Like you're not breathing. You're like literally trying to get breath out. Like, like you have that kind of feeling. And then um, eventually, like, it, it happens for a few seconds, and then it lets go. And when it lets go, all of a sudden, colors are in the air. You know what I mean? You start, your body literally goes into a state of, 
of what I call, I mean, it's like it's the mushroom world. Once you're in that mushroom world, your body is able to see and understand different things. Because when you're on mushrooms, you don't have an ego. So what happens is when you're like really tripping, when you're in mushroom world, you see yourself as yourself without your ego. So you don't have your ego to defend or justify your actions. All you have is your actions. And then what you can do from there is trace back as to why you've done that action. And that, and, and when you trace it back, you will find that you, you, you'll find your problem and how to solve it. To prevent this action, you got to prevent this problem. And a lot of the times when you come back off the mushrooms, the difficulty is that your ego comes back and your ego will come back and tell you things like, man, fuck that shit. I ain't letting none of that through. Fuck it. I'm going to keep doing this. And it's just like, damn. Sometimes you got to realize when you're, uh, when you are your own problem and mushrooms taught me that. So I went and I took some mushrooms and, uh, when I was on the mushrooms, this is, this is personal. All right. My dedicated 40. This is a very personal, if, if I became, no, when I, let's just say that when I become really big and famous, this is going to be something that they're probably going to replay. Um, I found out what one of my biggest fears was. See, I'm a person who doesn't have phobias. I don't, I'm not afraid of anything. I don't know real phobias. Um, but I found out uh, what one of my fears was. And one of my fears, this is going to sound fucked up. Uh, one of my fears is the fear of mediocrity. The fear of living a mediocre life. Like, I know it sounds fucked up because um, I think it was Albert Einstein that when somebody said, uh, what's the secret to happiness? Um, he wrote an equation on a piece of paper, and, and that equation was uh, mediocrity equals happiness because if there's no, uh, in order to be great requires great sacrifice, great challenge. You know, uh, in order to, uh, live uh, the fast life, as they would call it. It comes with a high price. You know what I mean? Like, but in order to just enjoy a consistent level of happiness, is to be mediocre. And I fear a mediocre lifestyle. Like I just, like I know I can't live forever. And so the idea of me dying and not having, uh any trace or memory of my life, it's like, well, then did I ever exist? You know? And it fucks with me. It fucks with me because I'm like, I feel like I've been given so many talents. I feel like I've been blessed uh, by luck, by God, by the universe, by karma, whatever you want, genetics, whatever you want to put it. I've been blessed with a lot of abilities and I feel like if I just died that it's like I like and I never really made anything special happen with my life that I never had one like what was your purpose like you just here for nothing and I know it sounds fucked up and some people may be cool with that some people are like man fuck all that 
I want to just, you know, have my kids and my wife and I just live my life. And when I'm dead, I'm dead. And it's fucked up because I envy you. I envy the person that strives for mediocrity. I envy them because they will find their happiness. They will find their goal. Right? But like the fucking crazy thing about chasing success is that you could die doing it. There's so many people on this planet who are ridiculously talented, even more so some talented than myself in whatever fields they may be at, and then they die or they get an injury or they go to jail or they end up at a day job or they're poor living in another country and instead of being a pop star, they're on the street corner singing for cash. You know what I'm saying? Like, and and for me, my fear is that I'll be one of those people. My fear is that no matter how great my talent is, that it will not allow me to uh, be anything more than a statistic. Just another human being that lived in a human being era. Just, you know, people in the 90s. That's all you get. A combination of clothes and music and culture left behind with no no real identity of an individual and that scares me because it's like then what was I here doing for all these years why did I struggle why did I try why did I fail why did I succeed why why do any of these things matter if all I am is just another statistic and so it's like I've always strived for greatness because uh, that's the only time that I saw validity in my life. And even as I'm saying this now, it's, you know, becoming more evident to me uh, with everything that I did. I played basketball because I wanted to go to the NBA. I ran track because I wanted to be in the Olympics. And then I became a comedian so that I could become one of the greatest of all time. Everything I've ever done has always been um, to be uh, recognized and noticed for my accomplishments. And um, I guess uh, being on lockdown and being in a financially, like I'm in terrible financial situations right now. Like some days, I'll be honest, man, some days, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but I'm a six. I'm talking to my dedicated 40 and I fuck with y'all. On some days, some days when I'm eating, it means the bill ain't paid. And some days when I pay a bill, it means I ain't eating. You know, that's real shit. I, as much as you guys hear me doing shows and, you know, fundraisers, I'm doing a lot. Like, I do a lot of online shows uh, right now. In fact, I've done so many Zoom shows, I'm scared to go back to real shows because I'm like, I don't even know. I've become too adapted to Zoom shows and I'm, it's going to be a little bit of a struggle when I go back to live shows. But these Zoom shows pay fuck all. You know, like they don't pay a lot of money. They pay less than a third of what I usually make. So I got to do like three shows uh, 
just to make the equivalent of one show and then I'll do like three shows a week but at the end of the month I don't have enough money to pay no bills I don't have enough money to you know uh you know how bad it is that you feel terrible when you buy groceries because you got bills to pay that's how fucked up things are for me some days that I'll buy groceries and feel guilty because I'm like, man, you know, we could survive off of less than this. And it's just like, God damn, you got to feel guilty about buying food. And it's not like extravagant food. Like I'm not buying chips and, 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 and fucking ice cream. I'm talking about your essentials. You know what I mean? I'm talking about you buy chicken. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, well, I mean, you know, you could survive on water for two more days, like shit like that. That's fucked up. But anyways, that's what the mushroom trip kind of revealed to me. It revealed to me uh, that I have a fear of living a mediocre life. Uh, Now, of course, there's even more questions to be asked. Like, is it, why is it that I feel the need to uh, be recognized? Do I, do I not value myself? Uh, do I not love myself enough to just uh, accept what it is that I have before me? There's all kinds of fucking questions, but the mushrooms only give you what, you know, you can handle at the time as far as I'm concerned. Because every time you want a mushroom trip, as you start to unravel the knowledge you know, time's passing, and then when you finally get one answer, then the mushrooms run out, and then you're like, oh, shit, I gotta go back, you know, you get that, ah, fuck, no, not yet, not yet, it's always weird, I'm always nervous, like, I love mushrooms, but I'm always nervous to take them because of the emotional journey I'm gonna go on, and how long it lasts, and, uh, you know, you'll go through an entire eight-hour trip, and uh, at the end of it, you would have only come back with one answer. And it's like, it's weird, because that's why I keep thinking, man, I feel like mushrooms either put your body into a state to receive knowledge, or it's like, it, 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 it I don't know how to say it, man, like, it just it, it it allows you to be empathetic. It opens your heart to love. It allows you to view yourself without an ego and it allows you to let yourself see how the world sees you, not just how you see the world. And I feel like when you're in that state that we as humans are supposed to in that state, communicate and learn and grow from each other. But when we're on mushrooms, the other side effects are fun as fuck. So you're like, wee! But the mushrooms are like, no, motherfucker, use this tool properly. I don't think you could be on mushrooms and hate somebody. You know what I'm saying? That's how crazy. You could be disappointed. You could be mad. You could be angry. But it's hard to hate somebody when you're on mushrooms. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I don't know. That's just my thought. 
But anyways, um, came off the mushroom trip, and came back with my little bit of answers. Uh, the bathtub uh, melted away the knots and stress in my body. And then I went to go see one of the most favorite human beings on the planet who is residing in Abbotsford, Sunny Dollywall. Ladies and gentlemen, if I tell you, man, you ever, you ever have somebody in your life you love? Like, I don't talk to Sunny on a regular basis. I don't talk to Sunny on a daily basis. I don't even talk to him on a weekly basis. But what I mean, I love Sunny Dollywall. He is a phenomenal comedian who looks like a combination of uh, Drake and LaMelo Ball. Um, <laughs> I swear to God, look up Sonny Dollywall, Sonny D Comedy. You've heard him on the podcast before. Oh, my God, he looks like all those things. And so I went and I spent time with him. Um, I don't hang out with a lot of people. I didn't go to any underground clubs or parties or anything like that. Um uh, I'm not going to act like those things are not happening. There's a lot of underground parties happening, illegal parties and stuff like that. And, you know, teach their own, do what you want. I don't give a fuck anymore. I used to have strong opinions on that shit. Now I don't give a fuck because it's just like, yo, there's too many inconsistencies in the world. But anyways, I went out, uh, hung out with old Sonny D, uh, got some good laughs on. Uh, hit back a few drinks, just got to laugh, felt like a human again. And, um, you know, I uh, saw uh, another friend and then uh, head back home. And so now I'm back. All right. The bitch is back and I feel a lot better. And I'm glad I went on that uh, that trip and that journey. And so um, I know... Uh, to my 40 listeners, you're like, oh, this motherfucker missed another episode. But I'm back, and I'm back with good news. Okay? First off, I don't know if I told you guys, because I don't know if you guys know, but I don't listen to my own podcast uh, after I put it out. I put it out. Everything I say on this podcast is honest and from the heart. It's how I felt at the moment, and I said it. So I don't edit it. I don't pull shit out. I, just, I leave it as raw as it is. I know eventually, sometime in the future, I'm going to be famous and they're going to use my podcast against me to try to uh, cancel me. And only my dedicated 40 will be the same motherfuckers coming to the show. So I don't give a fuck. Um, but yeah, uh, I have some special news. I was called up by the Just for Laughs Festival, and I will be performing in the first ever Canada Roast Battle on national television, um, which I'm really excited for because I know the person who created the Roast Battles. Uh, one of the creators, uh, two of the creators, his name is Brian Moses and Rel Battle. And um, I know Rel uh, personally. And uh, shout out to Rel Battle, amazing comedian and co-creator of the Roast Battles that everybody enjoys around the world right now. And um, so Canada is doing Roast Battle Canada, and I'm going to be in its first episode. And I got to go up against uh, fellow Albertan Brittany Lysing and fellow black person Alan Shane Lewis. And I've got to say, I'm going to fuck y'all up. 
I'm sorry. I, I mean, like, in the nicest way possible, I feel like I don't like roasting very often because I don't think it's a sustainable method of comedy because you spend weeks on end and you can't really test out the jokes, but you spend weeks on end working on material for one person, one individual, and then after you do those jokes, they're worthless. So I don't like doing them. Um, but when you're talking about national television, this is an opportunity for me to shine. This is an opportunity for me to be a star of a TV show. Uh, so Alan, Brittany, um, we will still be friends after the battle. But I intend on fucking you up in this battle. I don't know when this is going to be on TV. It'll most likely be in September because uh, I'm filming... In just a few weeks, I'm flying out April 13th to the 18th to go and film it. I got to do two battles on two separate days. Um, and uh, I'm already putting together some fire. I don't know. Like I'm going to make it be entertaining. I'm coming out extravagant. I'm doing everything big. And I'm going to fuck you up big. Uh, I feel sorry for them, to be honest. I feel sorry for them because I'm going to hurt their feelings. Uh, while making them laugh, I'm gonna go Patrice O'Neill on you. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna fuck you up. I'm digging up my inner high school bully mentality to make sure that every joke I say about you hurts. Um, but yeah, that's a big thing for me. I'm really excited. Um, uh, so that's happening, and also huge news. Um, in May, if restrictions are uh, uh, lifted, I've been uh, given a contract to book a comedy shows in Oshawa, Ontario um, for headliners and hosts. And it's a good money paying gig. And also, of course, it pays me, which is great. So I get to book comedy and throw work back to the community of Edmonton Comics, not Edmonton Comics, sorry, Toronto Comics. I mean, Edmonton Comics, if you're in Toronto, I would definitely tell you to go take this gig because it pays good money for three shows and all you got to do is perform for 25 people. Um, so I'm super excited about that. Uh, the restrictions, it sucks because it's still illegal to be a comedian in Canada, which is fucked up because it's uh, in America where they're, uh, COVID numbers are hundreds of times higher than ours. Yes, they do have a larger population, but the fact remains that they have skyrocketing numbers compared to ours. And comedians, man, they out there performing, performing. Like, they're on full-ass tours, you know, especially in Texas, uh, Mississippi, and Tennessee, where they have zero COVID restrictions. Um, so you got a lot of people going there. And then in Florida... Um, well, now it's spring break, so a lot of, uh, they want another lockdown. Um, but in Florida, their comedy clubs are all open. Uh, and in California, they're back doing stand-up comedy. And, like, they're finding little loopholes to move around. But here in Canada, it's just a straight zero entertainment. Zero live entertainment. They ain't even, which is fucking weird that you can have a gym open, you can have dance classes open. They even have kickboxing and boxing classes open. But it's too dangerous to make people laugh. 
And this is why when I said earlier, I used to have strong convictions about things because, I mean, I did lose a friend. Um, I did lose a good friend to COVID. Uh, Ricky uh, Lamb passed away uh, from COVID and that, that shit carries with me heavy. But what I'm seeing is there's no consistency in the rules. You know what I'm saying? Why is it that a person on a plane is legal, but when we're sitting elbow to elbow, I'm getting on a plane that is not socially distanced to fly to Toronto. I'm on a flight for four hours with this person sitting elbow to elbow. That's legal. But I can't have 50 people sitting six feet apart and 10 feet from the stage and do a live show. They literally told me at one of the shows they can't do it because the the guidelines are that it takes 45 minutes for the air to clear after you've done a performance. I said, well, motherfucker, 400 people on a plane sitting elbow to elbow with recycled air. Ain't no air coming from anywhere outside of the car. You, you, go, you go, you breathe that shit out. It's coming back in my mouth. That's legal. So it's just like, it's very frustrating because it seems like the only people allowed to operate are big business and large money corporations. If you got money backing you, then you could have made the, you know, the nudge to the political heads to say, yeah, let that person go forward, but hold the rest back. And of course, most entertainers are broke. And that's why the entertainers that are rich don't give a fuck because they go, it's time off. You know what I'm saying? You got tens of millions of dollars and no TV shows are being allowed to make. Okay, time off. I'm just, I'm, I got 10 million in the bank. I don't give a fuck. It doesn't bother you, right? But when you got $10 in the bank and the mortgage is due in two weeks, you fucked. And I'm in that fucked position. Um, so it's like being in that fucked position and seeing the inconsistencies and then seeing people rebel and make up conspiracies, it's like, I understand them. It's your fault. Government, it's your fault. You're not consistent. You lie too much. You keep giving mixed information. You're, good. You're, you're a breeding ground for fucking conspiracy theories. So it is what it is. You know what I mean? But shit's still illegal um, in, Canada, in Canada. But starting in May... So fingers crossed, starting in May, I will be booking comedians from across the country to perform in uh, Oshawa, and I'm be happy as fuck to give out money to these working comics who haven't had the chance to be on stage. So that's a huge deal for me uh, to be getting that contract. Just, you know, fingers crossed that they don't uh, cancel me again. And uh, I'm excited for my dedicated 40 uh, look out in the next 48 hours. I mean, yeah. So after you've seen, what days if my podcast comes out on Friday? All right. So by the time you're listening to this, go check my Instagram page at Sterling's Jokes um, and see what's new with me. That's all I'm going to say. Just see what's new and tell me if you like it. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. And uh, I'm going to leave it at that. And ooh, one more thing. <laughs> um, I know I briefly mentioned it, but I am a teach. I teach a comedy class, and um, I had 
two like on the opposite ends of like what it is to be a teacher. So I had one moment where uh, I'm teaching students about the light. So let me tell you guys what that is because you guys are not comedians. You guys are my dedicated 40. Whenever you're performing stand-up comedy, uh, when you come to the end of your set or the end of your time that you are allotted on stage, that to let you know you're close to the end of your set, the promoter, showrunner, somebody that's working in the room will hold up a light so that to signify you have one minute or five minutes left. You know, five minutes left if you're doing an hour, one minute left if you're doing like a five-minute set. But the significance of it is so that you know, hey, you've been on stage nine minutes, you got one minute left, wrap it up so that we can move on with the show. Okay, that's what the light is. It's very important because if you go over your time, nobody's going to want you on their show and it's considered disrespectful to the other comedians and the people that run the room uh, if you over, go over your time. So I'm teaching my students this in a class. So one of the students, I said, okay, you're going to perform for three minutes. At two minutes, I'm going to hold up a light. Okay, I want you to acknowledge to me with some kind of gesture that you saw the light. And then I want you to wrap it up in that next minute. Okay. So I said that and one of my students starts performing. So at two minutes, I hold up the light. The student doesn't look up. The student doesn't even care. Doesn't even not paying attention to me at all. At six and a half minutes, the student is still trying to tell jokes. So I interrupt and I go, okay, you were supposed to be doing this for three minutes. You are now at six and a half. I've been holding this light up for four and a half minutes and you have not acknowledged it nor seen it. And the motherfucker started yelling at me. Like, I was shocked. He's like, well, what the fuck? I have to read my jokes. And I'm like, I told you to go off script and to pay attention to the light for three minutes oh well you know what sterling i don't fucking have the ability to just memorize all this fucking homework you gave me and now and then they i was like i never told you to memorize your no homework i said perform for three minutes perform for two minutes acknowledge that you've seen the light and come off we're practicing the and the motherfucker just kept yelling at me and then exited the zoom conference <laughs> Like that was their way of storming out of the classroom. They just fucking stormed out of the class and then didn't come back. And uh, I was like mad because I felt like, man, fuck you. First of all, uh, you yelling at me when you fucked up. I just told you what we're doing. I said, we're going to perform for three minutes at the two-minute mark, I'm going to hold up a light, acknowledge it, and finish it and wrap up. The purpose of this exercise is to train you to not go over your time. Now you're four and a half minutes over your time, and I'm trying to show you that you're wrong, and you go cuss me out? Man, fuck you. Go ahead and start stand-up comedy and have a five-minute set and do ten minutes. See if they fucking let you come back in that bitch. So anyways, my students stormed out of class. I was mad. The class was laughing at the guy because they saw that the guy was being an asshole. Um, and then I had another class 
this is where I was like, man, being a teacher is trippy because I'm not, uh, I've never been a teacher before. I mean, I'm finding right now that I'm very good at it. I am very good. I'm not going to lie. My students are doing very well right now. Um, But like I had another student who didn't show up for two weeks and then showed back up. And I was like, okay, uh, well, I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. Welcome back. And they were like, uh, I was gone for two weeks because of you. And I said, what? They said, yeah, you said something to me. And I had to go to therapy and I had a breakdown. I said, what did I do? They're like, oh, it's not a bad thing. But you said that while I was performing, I was emotionally unavailable and I had a hard time being vulnerable. And I realized that I have a lot of issues and I refuse to be vulnerable or be emotionally available because of fear of being hurt. And I had a breakdown because of all the trauma in my life. And so I didn't show up for two weeks because I was in therapy. I was like, motherfucker, I was giving you a note on how to tell a joke better, not how to fix your fucking life. I was like, oh, shit. And then uh, they proceeded to perform and they had a magnificent, vulnerable, honest perform. I'm talking like these students have never performed stand up in their life. And this student was airing out personals while still making the crowd laugh. The crowd being me. And when they were finished, I was like, that was the most vulnerable and emotionally available set in the entire class. And then they broke down crying. And I felt like Tom Hanks in in that girl baseball movie. I was like, you can't cry. There's no crying in comedy. But then I realized, yes, there is. Because if you didn't cry in comedy, you never really did it yet. Because whether it be great success or great failure, you will cry in stand-up comedy. Um, But, yeah, they started crying Um, because, like, the, the words I said to them changed their very life. And then they came back to the class and put their pain to paper and made it art. And... Like to to I'm not taking credit for it, but to know that uh, I helped that person find that creativity in themselves blew me away. I was shocked. I was I wanted to cry. I would like because they were crying like like they know that they put their heart out there and to have the response that they got, not just from me, but from everybody in the class. It was phenomenal. And I'll say that it was the best teaching moment of my uh, eight-week career. (laughs) So I got one more class with my students. And then they perform live when the lockdown ends. And uh, I'm not going to go back to teaching uh, this semester. They asked me back. They were like, you did a phenomenal job. And they want me back for another eight weeks. Uh, But I'm going to decline not because I don't want to teach, but because um, I I have to learn to not overextend 
uh, myself. And unfortunately, that's what I do right now. Um, I, uh, because of the fact that I'm, you know, not out on the road doing comedy anymore, I'm too busy trying to find all these different things to do. And uh, the good thing about being uh, productive and shit like that and creative is that you could always think of something new. The bad thing is that you're always trying to do something new without finishing your old shit. So now what I'm trying to do is force all my energy into one project at a time and, and do great quality with that one project and then move on. Um, and my next project uh, for the next couple of weeks is this roast battle. So I don't want to focus on nothing uh, outside of fucking up the lives of Brittany Lysing and Alan Shane Lewis. And with that being said, this has been another episode of the Comedy Reject Podcast. Uh, Y'all stay safe out there and come on back sometime. Later.